0: Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in and through you. We are uh, in week two of our summer book study, and... Um... In this series, I don't even know how long this is going to go, but what we've committed to do is just go verse by verse through the book of Colossians and do our best with what we have and with the wisdom that we have and all of the information we have available to us, do our best to understand what the Bible is saying to us and how it's relevant for today. And so we believe very specifically that the Bible uh, was written by specific people in a specific uh, period of time to specific people. So it was written in antiquity over thousands of years, actually, by more than one author, many, many authors. There's many books that comprise the Bible and it had a specific application for those who were writing and reading it in its original context. But we also believe that the Bible has the power and authority to speak to us specifically today. And so last week we opened up in the first verse of the book of Colossians with that statement by Paul that I just referenced where he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And we talked about what it meant to be an apostle and we talked about what it meant to be for Paul to make that statement by the will of God that this is a a perspective shift. You need to understand something that Paul Um, had a radical life transformation it actually is said um, through other historians of the time that Paul himself was um, his name actually in the original Greek means small (laughs) and uh, so he wasn't a man of great stature In uh, some of the outside books from the Bible written at the time, they actually said that he was quite short, stocky. He had problems with his legs. um, There was nothing in Paul that would sort of indicate he was this strong, powerful, charismatic figure. And Paul, for most of his growing up life, studied Judaism And for most of his growing up life, he studied the law of Moses and he dedicated his life to that study. So much so that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after the the birth of the church, essentially, Paul was so offended by this notion that it's actually Jesus is God that in Jesus we have salvation, in him we have grace, in him we have hope, we have forgiveness, we have healing. He was so offended by that that he initiated the first wave of persecution against the church. And Paul took it upon himself to initiate the process of wiping out the church from the face of the earth. Paul, this little stocky guy with a powerful mind and teaching for years and years and years, devoted his life to the destruction of Christianity. He was there on hand as they murdered Stephen, one of the earliest disciples. So here's this guy who wasn't much to look at, wasn't a formidable force, wasn't this enigmatic charismatic kind of guy, bent, he was bent on the destruction of Christianity, then one day Jesus meets him on this road to Damascus. And he meets him in such a powerful way that his life is forever changed. So when we talk about Paul having a new perspective, shifting his mindset on his life, it's literally a full 180 that his mindset is not consumed by anymore what happened in his past. Paul isn't dragging around the weight of his past, the weight of his failures, the weight of his decisions, the weight of his murderous, terrorist lifestyle. He's not dragging that around. Because of what God had done in him, his whole perspective on life shifted. And that's why he could introduce himself so often as an apostle of Jesus Christ, an official representative of Christ. That's why Paul could say, look, I'm not doing this because I came up with a five-point strategic plan for my life and decided that that uh, total life transformation was what I needed to do and I needed to get into preaching and evangelism and whatnot. No, no, no. Paul could say that he was doing what he was doing by the will of God because God had intersected his life, flipped it upside down, and he was left with a choice. Do I follow this direction that God is laying out for me or do I just continue doing what I've always done, knowing what I've always known? And so Paul can say, I'm here by the will of God because it was God's initiating force in my life that brought me here. And the question for us is, can we say that about our life? Can we say that about any parts of our life? Are you involved in things that you can emphatically say, I'm involved in this, I'm doing this because of God's initiating force in this? I'm in this job, I'm experiencing this season of life because that's what he's initiated, that's what he's doing in me. So often we find it easy, at least I do, to rely on my strength and skill and capacity. I I can make things happen if I want. And sometimes I start out right and I start out saying, God, I want you to lead me, I want you to work in me, I want to give you You know, this decision, whatever that is, whatever the big or little decision is, we we start outright. And then after what is usually a very short period of time, we get antsy and we get uh, we we start squirming and we we want to begin to just make the wheels spin on our own strength and on our own effort. And and we take that innocent prayer of God, I want you to lead, and we begin to put our own influence into it. And Paul is saying, Look. I am what I am and I am where I am because God initiated it. He started it. And here's the amazing thing about that is that if God started it, he'll sustain it. If God started it in your life, he'll give you the strength and the capacity, the wisdom and the patience and the endurance and everything you need to accomplish what he started, he'll give it to you. But the trick for us is being able to say, God, I'm going to step back on this one and allow you to lead. And so that's what Paul is communicating to the Colossians. I want to jump down to verse 2. Paul says in verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, Timothy, a brother. I just want to stop there for one second. It's really interesting that Paul would just mention Timothy in this context. Timothy had nothing really to do with this church in Colossae. He'd never really been there. It wasn't his hometown. It, there, there was no reason for Paul to introduce Timothy in this context other than for Paul to affirm the value and purpose in mentorship and discipleship. Paul mentions Timothy, I believe, because it's so important for Paul to emphasize to this church that your faith, this thing called Christianity, is not a solo endeavor. That your whole purpose is to walk through with other people, Paul mentions to them Timothy because he he wants to reinforce this idea to them that we're not meant to walk life alone, that we're meant to invest ourselves in other people, that we're meant to to take what God has done in us and, and allow it to flow through us to other people. It's one of the reasons we have such a conviction here at Mount Park of of finding ways to authentically engage in mentorship. We believe that God's heart and his design is for all generations to bless and lead each other. That God isn't calling us to segregate ourselves into age groups, but he's saying, look, if you're older and wiser, you need to begin to invest in the younger And look, if you're younger, you need to realize that that there's people that actually have gone through things that you're going through, that they have something to offer. You need to actually invite those people into your life to help strengthen you and sustain you. And so Paul, sort of out of the blue, says, look, I just want you to know that, that I'm not here on my own. I'm not experiencing what I am in my life right now by myself. I'm actually here with people that God has put in my life to strengthen me, to encourage me, to equip me, to sharpen me. And that's not tied to a six-point sort of discipleship program. It's just doing life together. It's allowing someone else into your life in a way that impacts them and impacts you. It's not following a formula. It's just getting involved in someone else's life and allowing God to do things in that relationship that you could never have experienced on your own. And so that's why I believe Paul is mentioning Timothy there. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. I just, we're going to camp there for the rest of our time this morning. And I just want to unpack a few things for you. That word saints in the original Greek is hagios. And hagios is not just, uh, we we can't think of it just in terms of uh, Christian or uh, believer. Um, Sometimes when we say the word saints, sort of um, medieval artwork comes to mind and we think of these these gaunt figures in robes with halos around their heads. That's not what Paul is talking about. That word saints, he actually takes it right from the Greek lexicon. And there's two parts of this word that we need to uncover if we want to understand fully what Paul is saying. And the first part of that, the way the Greek culture around Paul understood that was to be set apart. Hagios was to be set apart or dedicated to God. So in Greek culture, they would set aside an offering and they would bring it to a god at a temple. They would dedicate temples and buildings to specific gods. And so in one sense, this word and what Paul is saying is is to be a saint is to be set apart, is to be set apart for something specific. And this is what the Greeks understood it to be, but this is not the fullness of what Paul is meaning in this word. He takes it one step further and he says, no, 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 it's not just setting something apart. Because the the Greeks would set apart and dedicate temples and buildings to God. They would be sacred spaces, but they would fill those temples with immorality. It says in one of the temples uh, in Corinth that there were over 3,000 prostitutes that worked out of that temple. And so setting apart wasn't an indication of of purity. It was just literally just setting it apart and saying, okay, this is dedicated to some unknown God. I'm going to just do that and hopefully that's good enough. And, And sometimes we get tricked in our faith life. We believe that what God is looking for from us is is to designate certain things sacred and designate other things non-sacred. And so we can fall into this trap like the Greeks did of just assuming that because we designate something as evil or non-sacred that somehow we're meeting the requirements of God with that in our life. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in these situations where out of almost arrogance or piety, we say, well, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't go to movies. I don't drink alcohol. I don't do this. And we have a long list of areas that we have, quote, unquote, set apart to God. But Paul is saying that doesn't go far enough in expressing the heart of God, the second side of that coin is one of purity of heart. And so Paul is saying, look, guys, it's not good enough just to say, I don't want to be in the world. All of that stuff is evil. I'm, I take pride in not you know, involving myself with that. No, 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 no. The fuller meaning is that, that actually God has your heart, that there's purity in your heart, that, that in your heart you say, God, I want to honor you. God, I want you to be the one who who drives and sustains my life. God, I'm not just going to set things apart because that's what it seems like I should do. That's called religion. But what I'm going to do is offer you my heart, God. And I want to do in my heart the things that please you. I want to be set apart in my heart. And so as Paul is talking to these young believers, he's saying, look, I know that it's kind of in vogue to to put the list of things on the wall that you don't do and the things that, that, that you say separate you from the world and identify you with Christ. But it's not just about what's on the exterior. It's about what's on the interior. And that in order for us to fully experience the life that God has for us, He's actually calling us more emphatically to surrender our hearts to him. That the things that grieve and hurt God, that we wouldn't continue in those. The old patterns of sin and the things that, that trip us up, that we wouldn't engage in those. Not because we want to seem religious, but because we want to honor the heart of God and that's what that word hagios means more fully in its context. And he goes on to say, and he calls these saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That word and that sequence of words has really been, I've just been sitting in that for a while now. And there's so much depth in what Paul is saying here. This is really a defining statement for his whole life and his whole ministry and the whole purpose of his writing this book to these Colossians, Christians. They're young in their faith. They're new. They're facing great opposition from the world around them. They're, they're being challenged to, to uh, compromise in their faith. They're being challenged to, to have a little bit of God and a little bit of everything else. They're being challenged with the authority and the supremacy and the kingship of Jesus They're being told by their their contemporaries around them that it's, yeah, it's okay that you're a Christian, it's okay that you have Christ, but he's he's just one of many options for you. And Paul is saying, no, 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 there's, there's something deeper you need to understand here. And he uses this phrase, in Christ at Colossae. And it's a phrase that he used in a couple of variations hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times in his writing, depending on how you read it and which translation, 160 to over 200 times in his letters. He uses this little peculiar phrase, in Christ at Colossae, at Ephesus, at Corinth, whatever it is, you fill in the blanks. And here's what Paul is wanting to lay a foundation with and establish The church in. It's not just about being set apart. It's not even just about having Christ in you. It's about seeing yourself and positioning yourself in Christ. So Paul is writing this letter from a dungeon, he's in prison and I'm pretty sure it's not the uh, sort of pseudo four-star resort prisons uh, like white-collar crime prison. This is a prison in the ancient Near East. Most likely, he's in a pit of some kind. He's in a pit that's dark. He's probably borderline malnourished. His body physically would be weak. He'd be disgustingly filthy and smelly. There would be no... Reason for Paul to have any hope, for him to communicate anything that even resembles hope or life. No reason whatsoever. His circumstances, the the situation he was in, normally would lead someone to believe it's all over. Woe is me. I've lost. I've made mistakes. Why am I here, God? It would start a flurry of questions. And yet Paul makes this defining statement that we need to hear. They needed to hear it then and we need to hear it today. That it's not just about Christ and about Jesus living in us. It's about us seeing that we live in this two-dimensional reality. That wherever we walk on this earth physically, whatever our geography is, whatever our circumstance is, that we also live in a secondary dimension, and that's in Christ. And specifically, that before we are where we are, we're in Christ first. So it's not to the um, to the Colossians in Colossae who are in Christ. No, it's you who are in Christ where you are. It's the power of God working in you and through you where you are geographically. It's being in Christ, in your family, in your work environment, in your finances, in every sphere of your life, understanding that I'm not where I am by accident and that I'm not here by myself. I'm not alone. I actually have the power of Christ, not only living in me, but working around me. And when Paul said to be in Christ over and over in Scripture, there's literally dozens and dozens of in Christ's. In Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, we have freedom. In Christ, we have hope. We have deliverance. We have healing in Christ. All of our needs have been supplied by the riches of the glory of Christ. We have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ, that everything you could possibly need in any sphere, in any situation, is found in Christ. And if you and I can understand that our perspective needs to shift, that we need to take our eyes off of what we see around us and recognize that if I'm in Christ, I have everything I need to walk through whatever it is I'm walking through. And this is the power of the transformation of the life of Christ in us. You can walk into any situation and in any environment and have the wisdom you need in Christ to deal with whatever it is you need to deal with, to have the patience to parent in Christ, to have the grace in your relationships in Christ, the peace of Christ, the hope of Christ. I heard one preacher, he was preaching about a different passage, but this really stuck out for me. I was listening to him this week on his podcast, and I just forgot what he said. It was that powerful. (laughs) It really was. He'll never listen to this anyway. He said this phrase I'm not stuck, I'm stationed. I'm not stuck where I am. We've got to get this out of our mind that that somehow we're at the mercy of whatever is happening around us. Paul has the exact opposite perspective. He says, I'm not stuck. I'm stationed here. I may be in a jail cell, in a pit, in the earth, malnourished, my body broken, uh, without hope in what I see around me, but I'm not stuck here. I'm stationed, and because I have Christ in me and through me, I have everything I need. To be in Christ is to flip our perspective and not see the lack of what's around us, but the sufficiency of Christ in us and through us. It's not to see the glass half full all the time, but to see that it is God who sustains us through Christ. There's freedom and salvation and grace and mercy in Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I want to read this to you. There was a famous missionary who many people call the father of modern missions. His name was William Carey. And he lived the mid 1700s to early 1800s. And I wanna read this to you. It was in 1783 that Carey went to India. He was British, he was a British shoemaker. That was his vocation. At first, his wife was reluctant to go, so Carrie set off to go nevertheless. But after two returns from the docks to persuade her again, Dorothy and his children accompanied him. Carrie set off, and even his wife didn't understand why in the world God would ever call him across the world to the continent of India. They arrived with a man named Dr. Thomas, at the mouth of the Hooghly in India in November 1793. There were years of discouragement. He worked for seven years before the first person gave their life to Jesus. Seven years in a foreign country. His family was ravaged by disease. There was death in his family. His wife, literally, it says, she lost her mind the experience of following God broke everything in their family, everything. By the grace of God and the power of the word, Carrie continued through all of this. When he died at 73 years old in 1834, this is what happened. He had initiated and seen the scriptures translated and printed into 40 languages. He was a college professor and founded a college at Sarampore. He had seen India open its doors to missionaries. And he had seen many converts to Christ. On his deathbed, Kerry called out to a missionary friend, Dr. Duff, you've been speaking about Dr. Carey. When I'm gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. Speak about Dr. Carey's God. That charge was symbolic of Carey, considered by many to be a unique figure towering above both contemporaries and successor in the ministry of mission. William Carey got it. William Carey saw this perspective shift that we live on these two planes in these two dimensions that whatever we're going through, whatever we're walking through in this life, in this world, we're not walking through it alone. We're not walking through it at the mercy of what happens to us, but we're walking through it in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we're in his strength and we're in his power and we're in his wisdom and we're in his sufficiency and we're we're in his grace and we're in his mercy. We're in his hope and his life and his peace. If we're in Christ, it doesn't matter what's happening around us. Our perspective today needs to shift. Our world, it looks like it's falling apart at light speed. It looks like our world is disintegrating into chaos. But when we're in Christ, we're not subject to the wind and the waves and the struggle and the torture and the torment and and, and being ripped apart when we're in Christ, we're in the one who controls and sustains even the wind and the waves, the planets in their courses. The one who authored the universe into existence is the one who lives in us and through us. And for Paul to say, for those who are in Christ in Colossae, was to say where you are is not just where you are and where you are isn't where you've been and where you are may not be where you're going. Where you are is in the presence of the one who can give you life and hope and grace and power for life. Let's stand together. I'm acutely aware that it's easy to say things like this and it's really hard to actually walk them out in life. I'm no different than you in that respect. But what I think God is looking for is a new generation of people. You can be older, you can be younger. He's looking for the generation now Of people who would say, I'm not going to be moved by the circumstances around me. I'm not going to be driven into discouragement or fear or hopelessness. I will be planted and rooted in Christ. He is everything that I need for this life. I live and walk in Christ. In my place of work, I am in Christ. I carry the power and the presence of Christ into my office. I carry it through the halls of my school. I carry it on the streets when I'm walking and in the restaurants that I visit. I carry the power and presence of Christ, his peace and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness and his mercy and his justice everywhere I walk. And so I may be here today, I may be gone tomorrow, I may face affliction, I may face hardship, but I am in Christ. He goes before me. His glory is my rear guard and he surrounds me. So today, I want to just ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you ready to actually flip your perspective? You're not stuck where you are. You're stationed by the almighty author of life there. You're not stuck in your experiences. You're stationed. God will work in you and through you. But today, are you ready to say, I want to live in Christ? I actually want the the name of Jesus and the power of his gospel to go before me and around me. I'm tired. I'm tired of being stressed out and overwhelmed, of feeling the weight of my past decisions and all of this stuff. I'm walking around like Like it's a millstone around my neck. I want to know what it means to be in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you want to know what it means to be in Christ for the first time. Maybe you've been rejecting God your whole life. You've tried everything else, you've gone down every other road. Maybe today Jesus is saying, Would you just try me? Would you let me give you the strength you need and the hope you need and the courage you need? Would you let me fill you with peace that you can't imagine? Would you let me restore your marriage and your family and your life? Would you let me lead you in your finances? Would you let me be Christ in you? If that's you today, I just want to invite you to come to the front as we sing this last song. Our team is going to sing, and when they begin to sing, I want to invite you to come to the front. and we say it at nauseum, There's nothing special about the carpet here. It's got all the same stains it does back there. But there is something special about activating ourselves physically and saying, God, I need a, I need a shift. I'm, I don't want to walk around feeling like I'm stuck all the time, but I want to walk around seeing myself as stationed by the Almighty, equipped and empowered to do every good work through the name of Jesus. If that's you today and you just want a renewal of your perspective and a shift in your mindset, I want to invite you to come to the front And as you do that, when you're coming to the front, we're going to pray together once the team is done singing. But this is a declaration of intentionality and saying, God, I don't want to keep going the way I have been. I need to try you, Jesus. I need to trust you in my life. I want to say that I'm in Christ and in St. Catharines or Grimsby or Niagara Falls or wherever it is you live that in every sphere of my life, I'm in Christ. So if that's you today, I want to encourage you to come. There's no judgment. There's no fear. And in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would call each person here to respond in the way that you're convicting them, to respond to what you're speaking to them. Father, that we would learn that we're not stuck, we're stationed in Christ with all the fullness of what he brings, not what we have to offer, but everything that he is. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring us conviction, that you would bring um, courage even right now for those who are riding on the fence and not sure what you may be speaking. I just pray for courage, Father, in Jesus' name courage to live in Christ. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today, and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash Church and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.